ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. It's Joe George, assistant to the regional manager behind the glass. It is a Monday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hope you all had a great weekend. It is an all-star break edition of the uh, of the Killer Bees. We don't take breaks around here, though. A lot of people have. We're gamers. A, a tough week ahead. What do you mean? Tough road to hoe. There's going to be a lot of mount, a lot of Mount Rushmores on a lot oh, of stations this week. I love this week. It's fun, right? I, I'm a huge fan of this week. We we can get down to the brass tacks of Houston sports, and we can get as far away from it as we need to. I feel like a lot of times we have governors on us, like a normal weeks, like Texan right. season. Well, we got governors to talk Texans, Astro season, got go- and we like doing all that stuff. You know, we love talking about the the local teams and everything from a league wide scope, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball. But these weeks, you know, you can kind of have a little bit of fun. We want to talk about a desserts. Bit of if we want Joe to sample some really stale bad food, yeah, we got all the wiggle this room is the we week need to do it. I made some bomb wings last night, by the way. I do feel like we're like due them. for they a bad so food good. Testing. What's that? I feel like I'm due for a bad food taste test. Oh, you are. I thought you said a bad take. I was like, that's eh, daily. Not so do ten minutes. That's the bullpen <laughs> on the weekends. Go ahead, promote it now. Not uh, so twelve due. to two on Saturdays. Right, there you go. You all have a good weekend, everybody. Good weekend. Yeah, very good. Full weekend. Busy? Let's just leave it at that. Very busy. Very busy. Yeah. So probably happy that you're going to work. Type of yeah, busy. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Really was. Yeah. Can't uh, spend money when I'm actually working. It's weird. These summer weekends are weird for me because, like, from August till June. Like, I don't have weekends. Like, I'm working. Right, right. Like, the summer weekends are so bizarre. I'm like, I wake up. I'm like, what am I going to do today? Like, I have nothing to do today. So this is going to be a very weird day. So the kids are in California with the grandparents. Oh, so you're kidless. Yeah. So Lisa and I have found ourselves many a time already going, what What, what do we do now? Like, yeah. there's nothing. There's no chaos. There's no screaming kid or <laughs> someone that needs practice or something like that. And then we the, the girls call us. And we're thinking, oh, you know, it's good to catch up. And we have, you know, do they miss us and everything like that? And my youngest goes, hey, um, I don't want to come home. <laughs> and we're like, well, what? you know, you got school. You got to get ready for school. You got to come home. She drops the phone and goes, that's it. They said I can stay. And she walks away. <laughs> I'm like, that's great. This is what we're doing now. Yeah, I couldn't imagine that That kind of like a kidless house. That'd be oh my very God, it's weird. amazing. I bet. <laughs> it really is. I bet. At first I felt bad. And then I was like, no, this is pretty cool for a while. Um, Astros lost three or four they did. against the Seattle Mariners. This is kind of like, okay, you glass half full, you glass half empty. And I don't like taking three or four or, or losing three or four, but you, you didn't have the pitching ma- advantage in, in any of these except for Fromber. Right. Seattle lined up their rotation. I mean, accidental. They weren't doing it on purpose. And the Rangers stunk. The Rangers stunk it up in Washington. They lost a series to the Nationals. So it's like, eh, you lost three or four. I don't love that. But you're going into the break. You've had all these injuries. Altuve and Jordan have played in 13 games together. And you're only two back entering the All-Star break. So I've kind of like, I took a whatever approach to the Seattle series. You're two back. I think the Astros are in a pretty good spot. Yeah, no, they really are. I think that's the the key is, is like you said, it'd be one, this, this is the best Th- losing three out of four series you could possibly have in terms of the scenario the way it played out to actually not lose ground and lose three of four, now get a nice break to where you can get healthier or be on the road to getting healthier and kind of recharge the batteries, let some pitchers who have pitched a lot kind of take it easy a little bit. 
it's the best case scenario. If you'd have set this whole scenario up and not told anybody how far they're going to be back or where the division stands and say, you're not going to have Altuve for most of it. You're not going to have Jordan for most of it. You're going to lose Garcia for the season, McCullers for the season. Urquidy's going to be shut down. You know, go through it. Brantley's never going to play for the whole first half of the season. I think most people would say, well, God, I hope we're at least in third place or in second place within like 10 games. Yeah. You're two out. It was fine. Like it was like I wanted a split with Seattle. Looking at the pitching matchups, I wanted a split. A split would have been a sure, huge success. Yep. I think that I, I think it was before you were back on Friday. Joe and I were yeah because the series started on Thursday. Yep. We were talking. Well, you know, what do you want from this series? And we're like, eh, a split would be good. Stay two back. Well, you drop three or four, but just stay two back. Right. So I, I think that it's fine. Like in the, the the Mariners having the rotation the way that it was, like it, it is what it is. Now you did allow Seattle to kind of creep back in the race. Seattle jumped over the Angels. They're now four back of you yep. six back of the Rangers so like that's the that's the negative of take of losing three of four the positive is the Rangers screwed up in DC and you're still too back yeah I looked at I mean I looked at all of it too and I was trying to weigh like how people might be thinking today it's like you know what we talk about all the time about between Blanco and Belak and they're up and they're down and they're good and they're bad and and you're like okay but you know who they are now what you is that better as Dana Brown gets closer to the trade deadline, you get to the second half of the season. Is that better to know who they are and then know that Urquidy's going to come back and hopefully he's going to be pretty effective? And is that enough? And on the, on the offensive side, you're expecting Altuve's going to be back and Jordan's going to be back, but you still see that the offense isn't great or as great as you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Is that enough or does Dana Brown need to make one or two moves to address both situations. I think I think the city and our listeners would tell us that he needs to make moves. I agree. Now, I totally agree. Now, is one enough? Uh, look, I, this is this is kind of a challenging question to answer. Because if you're healthy, I think that you have enough. Now, you need everybody to, like, meet expectations. You need Jordan Alvarez to come back healthy, stay healthy, and be Jordan Alvarez. You need Jose Altuve to be Jose Altuve and stay healthy. And he's had four injuries this season. Like, let's be very honest with Jose Altuve's year. He's had four injuries, two of them serious. He had a broken thumb, cost him to miss two months. He had the oblique the first time. He was able to avoid the I.L. stint. He had the hill. He has the oblique again. Jose Altuve, 2023, has been injury prone. He's had four major injuries. So you, you hope that he comes back and is Jose Altuve and then stays healthy. Jose Arquiti needs to come back, stay healthy, and then be Jose Arquiti who he was pre-2023. He wasn't pitching well before injury. So, like, the Astros have enough. And then Christian Javier. Like, Christian Javier has to be Christian Javier, who you thought was going to be a top-two starter in this rotation. So I think if, like, you have, like, you know, your Astros-colored glasses on, and you're just, you know... Uh, every everything is is going to turn out best case scenario. Every every you have reason for optimism, and every optimistic viewpoint comes out true. I think that you have enough. The problem is that's not reality. Like right. Jordan, is he going to stay healthy the rest of the year? Maybe not. Altuve, maybe not. He's already had four injuries. Do we expect Javier to be pre these last four starts? Javier, you know, I don't know what you can really rely on. Same thing with Jose Arquiti. So I think that moves are always kind of you know you, you want to add to your arsenal. I think the Astros have a lot of areas where they could add to their arsenal. I want a left-handed bat that can play left field. I would like a veteran starting pitcher so we don't have to see a Ronel Blanco and a Brandon Belak make turns in the rotation. I would like an extra arm in the bullpen, too, in case, you know, Montero doesn't come back. Be a steady left? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not married to the idea of a lefty, 
But if you had like one to set, like one luxury, left-handed arm is that uh, certainly. I-, I want a quality arm more than like he better be sure. a left-handed arm. But there's room in this bullpen for another quality arm too. So I think that those are like. And, and Dana Brown said that to uh, was it Ken Rosenthal? Whenever they did the national game, um, he said that those are the three things he's targeting: a bat, a rotation arm, a bullpen arm. Do I think he can get all three? Mm, I think it's a tall well, order. And the other, the other interesting thing is then he was on with uh, Blummer yesterday. And and Kevin and the the conversation kind of got to that point again away from the draft, and he went back to what the Astros philosophy it was interesting to me because it went back to an Astros philosophy that was before he was here, mm-hmm. which is insurance policies. And he started talking about I want to make sure that we've got some guys for some depth in the outfield. I want to make sure that we've got some guys that give us depth on the bench and do those things. And it just kept screaming to me, oh, they're going to look for insurance policies again around the diamond where they might need them, an yeah. infielder, an outfielder. That's just that's just good business. And I think that's one of the underrated things of the Astros not having a general manager for three months is that they didn't fill those holes. Like, we, we look at the obvious Montero, Abreu, Brantley, and we're like, criticize GM Jeff Bagwell, who doesn't deserve an apology. So, like, we look at those three things and, like, criticize the, the era of the Astros being rudderless without a general manager. But how about not adding to the depth? Like, even if you get Altuve back healthy, you will. Jordan back healthy, you will. I'm not going to count Brantley. I'll counter Keedy. You're still looking at a roster that's going to carry Ronel Blanco. Like, there's an upgrade there. Add a relief pitcher that it, that is somebody you can count on. Upgrade there. Even if you get all the you know the uh, the offensive players back that we just mentioned, you're still rostering either a Gray Kessinger or um, I'm blanking on the David Hensley or Madrid or Madrid. Like, so that can be an upgrade. The Astros don't have a great bench. And I think that that's where Dana Brown can really help this team more is like, okay, get a left-handed bat that can replace a Madris or a utility infielder who can replace a great Kessinger or, you know, a, an equivalent to an Aroldis Chapman that can replace a Ronel Blanco. So like this team, the bottom three roster spots on this 26 man roster can be improved and you don't even need to get a starter. Like if you get a, a solid middle reliever, Okay, well, he replaces Ronel Blanco. I, that's somebody I can go to out of the bullpen because we, look what we've seen the last few weeks out of the Astros bullpen. This like journeyman from Cincinnati. We've seen Sean Dubin like get some quality innings. We've seen Brandon Belak pitch more than any of us would like to see Brandon Belak pitch. You trade for a solid middle reliever that can replace a Ronel Blanco, a Belak on the roster. That's good, even if Jose Arquiti is your fifth starter. Um, trading for a starting pitcher gives you a six-man rotation of full health of Fromber, Javier, Brown, France, or Keedy, the traded six starter. A left-handed bat gives you an option in left field to platoon with Jolks or maybe just outright win the job. So I think that's where Dana Brown can improve this team the most is not necessarily like an everyday starter, but replacing the bottom three roster spots on the 26-man yeah, roster. I agree, and I think that the other thing that it said to me when he keeps talking about insurance policies is like a year ago – you're not going to have to dig deep into your farm system. You're going to look for guys with expiring contracts that are going to be just like the guys last year that become free agents that are probably going to leave. But that's actually a good thing because it gets you through the end of this season with more reinforcements that you need to be a better baseball team. And then at the end of the year, you can make the long-term assessment of, do I want to keep any of these guys around? Or I wipe my hands clean. I didn't lose that much in the process. And I look for the long-term solutions. Like Jock Peterson. Like I'm just throwing out the name. Sure. I'm not not saying let's bang down the door My for least John favorite Peterson. baseball player on the planet. Yes, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yep. Now that I know that, I'm going to use him more I know often. You will. Um, but like he's not somebody that I'm I, I know is going to start in left field every single game. 
but against righties who stink against lefties? Okay, well, Jock Peterson's going to make some starts. It's like the Woo kid from Seattle on the uh, the game where he went up against Fromber. That guy's terrible against left-handed hitters. You know how many left-handed hitters the Astros had in the lineup that game? One. One. Yep. And I know you're getting Jordan back, but two. But here's the few. thing, Jock Peterson. Remember when we were talking about Corey Jolks last week? You want to be able to have a guy that's not good for you know the course of 162. Mm-hmm. It's a guy that you know you can trust in the big moments in the playoffs when the stage gets bigger, the lights get brighter. Well. Jock Peterson, no matter what you say about him and if he's only good situationally and he doesn't play every day and all those things, he comes up in big moments and he's got playoff and World Series experience. He's got rings to prove it. And if that's the kind of guy you bring off your bench as opposed to younger guys that you really don't know what they can possibly do, if they can do anything now or then, like Madris, like Hensley, like guys like that, like even with Jolks, as you get more depth, if you can take a Jock Peterson and put him in the middle of the repertoire that Dusty can pull from, yeah. you're a better baseball team. And all he's doing is replacing Blind Madris. Like, right. that's the and thing. So, yeah, no big deal on the roster. Yeah, so uh, that's where I think Dana can really, over these next few weeks, help this team out a ton, is you know, maybe it's a spot starter. Maybe it's a sixth starter in the rotation after an Arquiti. Maybe somebody who's an upgrade over Arquiti France. Somebody who's an upgrade over Renel Blanco. Somebody who's an upgrade over... Whoever you want to say out of the bullpen, I think that's where Dana can really help this team. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Where do you think Dana can help this team? Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Because it is All Star Weekend or week, we got a little sidetracked there, so we got to get to the good, the bad, the ugly. What is your good, bad, ugly from this Astro series over the weekend? We're on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN ninety seven five. He's at Pac Man Joel on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Brandon. That's at Joe George Radio as well. Uh, it's the Killer Beast on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five. Welcome back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. Killer Bees are also known as Africanized Bees. And we all know there's nothing Africanized about these two guys. It's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. A lot of people in the uh, the Twitch are talking about the, uh, the Astros selections. Major League Baseball draft resumes today at 1 o'clock, by the way. I'm hoping they take Zane Adams with their third-round pick. Porter High School shout-out. Um, this Bryce Matthews went to a Tascacita. Yep. I've seen Bryce Matthews play in person. Oh, really? Football, not baseball. Really? Yeah, I've never seen him play baseball other than these videos. What are you playing football? Call, quarterback. Oh. I've called a few of his games. I've seen him play football. Was I've he never good? seen him play. Yeah, he was really good. He was really good. Very, very athletic. Okay. Um, he was projected, like, if you go look at some grades on this draft, not many people love the Bryce Matthews pick. He probably had a second-round grade, according to, like, the experts, not necessarily general managers. I'm thinking that the Astros might have signed him for below slot. That way they can use the savings later in the draft. But they also have to like Bryce Matthews. There's a lot to like about him. He's got good power. He's got very good speed. He's very, very rangy. Made a lot of errors last year at shortstop, so I don't know if that's his position for the future. And most of the dudes that you draft are shortstops because they're the best athletes. Right, right. and you can... You have a lot, you have options, right? You have versatility. Either Pena is a guy that's another bigger body that, as we've seen, that Correa didn't want to do, but like Ripken did and A Rod did. At a certain point in your career, maybe you shift him, but you need assets in your farm system, no matter what. I agree with you. I think that they had a pre uh, uh, pre agreed to upon probably financial deal so that they knew that they would have some more flexibility because Dana Brown knows he's got to build this farm system back up to some degree as well. And and I think that you know obviously. Fans are going to like the local, the local aspect, the local connections. But I, I really, there's, if there's one aspect of Dana Brown that I totally believe in, it's his ability to, to evaluate and manage talent mm-hmm. that he gets, and especially in the draft. So I, I'm good with whatever he decides to do. I, I'm with you on that. Like in Dana, I trust when it comes to this. The the one 
I'm not going to call it a hole, maybe a weakness that, that Bryce Matthews is going to have to improve a lot on is, is contact. He doesn't have great contact skills. He strikes out a lot. Uh, usually that's not something that improves a ton once you get to the professional game, but maybe it's something that they see in a swing that can you know lead to better contact. But he certainly has exciting skills with the speed, with the power, with the range, uh, has an arm that's certainly good enough to play shortstop. The contact is something that uh, people look at. He gets dinged whenever you look at like his prospect grade. Uh, but then the second pick that they already had, Alonzo Treadwell, who is the UCLA kid, yeah, six big eight, kid. Six, six eight. eight, yeah. He throws like he can reach ninety five, ninety six. He usually lives low nineties, but usually once you get to the professional game, you add two to three sure. miles per hour on your fastball, and he has excellent command. Like he has very few walks. His strikeout to walk ratio very good. He's got a four pitch mix. The you know the other three pitches probably need a little bit of work, but I'm, I'm you know excited about him too. Did I know who Alonzo Treadwell was before the Astros took him yesterday? No, I did not. Uh, but he's what an exciting prospect. The other thing that I like too is is normally if it's going to be a project type prospect that's going to take multiple years, then they're going to be high school kids. They're going to be younger kids. You took college kids now, so I think Dana Brown's also realizing, look, I need to get these kids kind of streamlined to see what they can be and closer to the major leagues quicker. And if college baseball has developed them enough and done their job and we've done ours, we've got guys that are a little bit more advanced. They did it last year. They'll do, they do it again the first two rounds today uh, yesterday yeah. and i believe that's that's the way dana brown's thinking there was two huge takeaways that i had from like a global viewpoint like a holistic viewpoint and that was one of them like i think dana brown's trying to catch up a little bit mm-hmm. from the picks that they had taken away because of the sign stealing scandal by taking college players last year was gilbert it was melton the outfielder from oregon state this year it's matthews from nebraska it's treadwell from ucla i think he's trying to draft players that he can get into double a in a year or two and try to have some high level prospects because he's playing catch up from like the hole uh, that the the um this i guess the draft pick they're not all going to be like drew gilbert but if they if they progress quickly yeah now they have more value across the league as well as what they have in terms of value for you in your system and sure. what they could possibly do yeah it's not always what they turn out to be it's what they get you in return right, right like right. if you can draft guys that, that, that are a piece of a garrett cole trade well that that draft pick was a success, so it's not always or, or with, Verlander yeah. or Grinky. Or you look at—I mean, I, lo- I go back and look at those trades—the the Grinky and the Verlander trades. Going, what you gave up for what you got, you won those trades mm-hmm. because none of those guys have turned into anything like they were supposed to. Yep. And even if they make the major leagues, that's fine. What you got in return, when you got him, and what he did was far more valuable. Musgrove was probably the best player in the Pirates trade, but didn't really amount to anything until after he left Pittsburgh right. and went to San Diego. Best player in the Verlander trade? Beer. Probably that catcher. Well, he was in the Grinky trade, Beer was. Or Grinky's I was talking about. Yeah, Grinky trade. Say? the, oh, the uh, Verlander trade. The well, Rogers, it was supposed to be Gaz Cameron. Yeah, he Gaz never Cameron did fizzled. Yeah, the best player is probably Rodgers. Who is like, catcher? Yeah, he's a defensive yep. first catcher. Doesn't yep. hit very much. You, you mean you wouldn't? He wouldn't be doing anything in, with the Astros. Not with Corey Lee and Yiner. I didn't like the Grinky trade when they made it. Like I was a little scared of the prospects that they gave up. Honestly, Beer was pretty highly ranked. They had, I think it was Corbin Martin, Beer, Buskowskis, and there was a fourth one, but none of them amounted to anything. I had to look up Bukowski. They did put the graphic up on ESPN last night yeah. of the Astros' previous draft picks and where they were in 2023, and it said Major League for Bukowskis. Oh, he's I was pitching like, in the bigs? I was like, wait, what? Yeah, and so I, I Googled it, and he's bounced around to four different teams, had two different injuries, and he's on the Brewers' major league roster, just got called up last week. But he had some spinal issue going on, too. But he really hasn't pitched, but he's Mike in the Tyson? major leagues. He broke his back. Spinal. It's crazy. <laughs> I didn't like that trade, but yeah, none of those players really amounted to anything. And then the second takeaway I had from Dana Brown's draft was that 
he's he's taking these players based on projectability. Like a lot of time, and like that's why Bryce Matthews had a second round grade is because it's almost like what he is right now as a prospect. I think Dana Brown looks at him and is like, okay, this is a guy who can really if he if he hits all his potential, if he hits his ceiling in a dun- in a bunch of these different you know categories, attribute categories, contact, power, speed, et cetera, et cetera. He has a really high upside. I think it's the same thing with the UCLA pitcher Alonzo Treadwell, six eight mid nineties fastball. If you can get him up to ninety eight, he develops a pretty good second third pitch. All of a sudden, you're looking at a front line starter. So I, Dana Brown, my early observation is that he wanted college guys, and he did it last year. Well, he went around last year, but he wanted college guys that are going to fill that gap of when you had the picks taken away. And then secondly, he's taking high upside players, and if you hit on one or two high upside players, it all works out. No question. The biggest I takeaways I had. Yeah, of that. I agree with that, and the fact that he's looking for value. I mean, across the board, he's looking for value. Whether he saved money or not, in the first round, he was looking for value because everybody right away was like, we got Pena. But you don't know if the kid's yeah. going to progress enough to even push Pena. But you know that you've got a kid that's got a lot of upside that can do some things for you. And just like with the pitching staff, you get a guy that has that kind of imposing size that already has that kind of velocity and he has control. If you get him with the law firm or whoever in the system can start developing spin rate and secondary pitches – now you've got a guy that when you're sitting there worried about the health of guys that are coming off of major surgeries in a case of a Herkiti, maybe he's always going to be damaged goods. You've got guys in the pipeline that could be your next version of France or Hunter Brown or guys that may be under the radar early but show enough ability that can be guys in your system that have value. Yeah, and you could probably forget about him for like at least two years, maybe even three. Right. I'm, baseball to me, it's it's a weird draft because you don't have immediate returns ever. Like right. they're never going to be, I mean, you've seen a rare occasion here and there. Uh, you saw Clyde with the Rangers back in like in the 80s when they drafted Sports him out of high school and boy, brought yeah. him straight up. It's silly. Like Dave Winfield, I think, was a guy who got drafted straight out of high school and immediately went to the bigs, but it doesn't happen. Like it, it does not have immediate dividends. It's going to take a little while. I think Major League Baseball draft more than any, and I still believe in, in the foot in NFL and NBA that it should be best player available. Major League Baseball, no matter what, best player available. And a lot of times where they're picked, like their position, it's going to change. Like there, there's already talk that you know Bryce Matthews errors, like the, he might be a problem, and that he might have to move, be moved to third. That he could be somebody that moves to center field because he has excellent speed, but a little questionable on like fielding the position at short. Like Gary Sheffield was drafted as a shortstop. Like all of these guys are drafted as shortstops and then they move around you know based on what they show you defensively as professionals or a lot of times they're bat too like if they have an incredible bat and they're mediocre defensively okay let's play them left field and how many times your body goes through a complete transformation and you suddenly put on 50 yeah. pounds of muscle and your head size goes up two inches <laughs> Seven one three. I don't know how that happened. Seven eight zero. Somebody's claiming for Nelson Cruz. No, I don't uh, want anything to Nelson's, do with Nelson I think Cruz. There's guys that are on the back nine, and there are guys that are putting out on eighteen. Yeah. I think Nelson Cruz is past. Specifically, I want a lefty, and then fifty thirty. He's not a big fan of Jock. I just use Jock as an example, not petitioning for Jock Peterson. But he Whoa. says uh, F word Jock. He's a piece of s. Uh, Joe's guy is another guy that's going to fall right into that same category. Belly Bellinger. Oh, yeah, he would. Like, yeah, a lot of people don't he, want Bellinger. He's got one year left, and you, you, you get out of that. This is his last year. Yeah. He's got to prove it. But, of course, there's all those under-the-radar things about the bad blood and the, the uh, things that were said and how it all played out with, when he was a Dodger. So I don't know if they even consider him. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, 4 3 3 one Biggio drafted as a catcher. Not only was Biggio drafted as a catcher, Biggio played some years in the bigs he did. as Absolutely a catcher. Did. And then he out-hit the position, and they had to move him over to second base. That way he could stay he's in the lineup. He's Two different positions? I think so. I think he was an all-star. Not all three. He wasn't an outfield. I wasn't a center field all-star, I don't think. He was a catcher and a second base. 
one of my first memories of like watching Astros coverage on te- probably Berman was whenever the Astros moved Biggio from the catcher to second base. Like I, I remember being a young kid and like, oh, they're moving Biggio to second base and how big of a deal it was back in the day. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. All right, let's finally get to our good, yeah. bad, and ugly <laughs> from over the weekend. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Good, bad, ugly from the Astros against the Mariners. The battle with Seattle. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Razor Blunt Commentary, delivered with a special purpose. What's happening to my special purpose? It's the Killer Bees, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Good, bad, ugly from the... Battle with Seattle, 713-780-3776. Let's be optimistic with the Astros only two games back entering the All-Star break. Joe George told us, by the way, that uh, Garrett Cole is getting the uh, start for the uh, American League All-Star game. Home field on the... Oh, yeah, they got rid of that gimmicky thing. Uh, What was your good from the uh, Astros series against the Mariners? I think the first good for me is that I saw what I needed to see out of Framber Valdez again. I saw an ace do ace-type stuff. On a team that, in the middle of a series where they were struggling to find pitching that kept them in ball games, do exactly what you needed him to do. And it wasn't perfect, and it wasn't always pretty. But he fought his way through. He did what he needed to do, and he kept you in a ball game that you ended up winning. And I think that that's something that just proves more and more what kind of value that he has to this team. It's scary because he's also going to have that kind of value across the league if he ends up, you know, progressing towards free agency, and you, you want to wrap him up, but. He has earned every accolade to be able to be called an ace and do what you need him to do for your squad. Also coming off the ankle injury. Yes. Like, you didn't if, know exactly... If you believe that. I do now that he's not pitching in the All-Star game. But I think that was good on Dusty because of the fact that he pitched when he did and he would be pitching in the All-Star game in, like, two three days rest. Uh-huh. And that they need him so much that he said... Fromber's probably going to be pissed about it. Yeah. But he goes, I just think it's the right move. And Fromber said, I only wanted to start. Otherwise, I wasn't going to pitch. So I'm glad Dusty did that. I am too. I'm very glad. I, I don't care at all about individual accolades. Sorry, I'm selfish. All I want and is team I, accolades. I think he does, right? Because oh, it, sure. especially getting close to free agency too. I was an all-star game starter, and I have had these kind of years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It boosts up his marketability no too. No like he, Name value, all those things. Um I thought originally whenever they announced the ankle sprain and then McTaggart had the quote like saying that Fromber might be in line to start the All-Star game, I was like, I think they're making up the ankle injury. But now that he they, they he also Fromber also said he wanted to pitch Thursday, Friday, and then he pitched Saturday, and now he's not pitching the All-Star game. It makes me think that the ankle thing could have been real, even though he made a start after the ankle yeah, thing. My so thing I don't is know. more that his he, he he didn't have the normal kind of starts that we're used to seeing for him mm-hmm. leading up to Saturday, and the fact that we know how taxing this this entire first half of the season has been on the pitching staff Yeah, that I kind of tended to believe it was more kind of a, 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 a Javier light situation where I don't want any more innings on this guy. I don't need him to like hurry up and rush a start for the all-star game when I know it's more important for him to come out of the break being what we need him to be. Mm-hmm. So tough call, tough on him individually, best move for this team, especially when your manager has the say. I would also let's call it the the ankle mystery then, not an ankle injury because okay. I'm with, I'm like with you like it very well could have been a you know, fake ankle injury. But the 
Pitching well off the ankle mystery was good because it gives you some peace of mind that it's not something that's going to continue. Secondly, if you're an Astros fan, I think that we all owe Framber Valdez a couple of thank yous. Like, one, he's just pitching really well, has the lowest ERA in the American League. Secondly, let's not forget that Framber Valdez declined the WBC, yep. and then now he... he Again, put his team ahead of like his individual goals, and maybe Dusty had some influence there, and not pitching the All-Star game. So Fromber, one, he's your ace. He maybe is the best pitcher in the American League. He didn't play for country because he put the club in front of country, and now again he put the Astros' best interest and set it in front of his own interest. A lot of times we criticize athletes for like doing what's good for them, being selfish. Well, let's, let's call it the other side when they do something more yeah. for team than, them, than themselves. Yeah. So I think we all owe Fromber a huge thank you for not pitching in the WBC and not pitching in the All-Star. And I'll add to that, whether it was his choice or Dusty's choice or just the right choice, but the fact that he went along with it, I think that's great. I think the other thing is, is that because the top of the rotation has been so unsettled, and because of the fact that, you know, coming off the playoffs and Javier's success, and I was one of those guys that thought Javier might absolutely take the whole league by storm and surprise this year and be a guy that, you know, goes way up to maybe being your ace. But because of his ups and downs, because of the struggles of the rest of the pitching staff, he was that much more important throughout this injury-plagued first half to be able to be the stopper, to be able to be the guy that almost guarantees you a win every time he takes the hill. Mm-hmm. And to do that and keep this team in every, almost every game he's pitched, it's extremely more valuable when you have all the situations the Astros have dealt with in the first half of the season. Yeah. Uh, he, Fromber's great. Fromber's really good. I'll go good. It's also a bit of a bad. Uh, Hector Neris, the bases loaded, zero out situation. Bases loaded, no outs in the eighth. The good is that he got out of it. The bad yeah, is that he walked to and yeah. hit one to get into that spot. So it's kind of a good bad. But Hector Neris getting out of that spot saved you from a four-game ser- four series sweep at the hand of the Mariners. So terrible that he got into it. That's a bad. But the good, getting out of it, firing up the team. And then the second good, Martin Maldonado, the unlikely yeah. hero with the go-ahead home run that gave you the lead and the only game that you salvaged in that four-game series. What you got, Joe George? You good? You got any good? Yeah, Rafael Montero. You didn't suck this weekend. Congratulations. But Rafael Montero is the best mop-up pitcher in baseball that money can buy. Then four, four innings, <laughs> one hit, one of them, one earned run. That needs to be his role. That Great he's, job. He is a weapon. Whenever you're down by four or five yeah. runs to keep you in a, not all the time, but yeah. he is a weapon to keep you in a four to five run game as a mop up reliever. But he's saving the it's bullpen. It's sad when he's that doing we're calling it. him this year Seth Martinez with what he's making. Yeah. But at least, look, in baby steps, this is building his confidence. At least, he, you know, he's facing major league hitters. He, he, you know, he's not the guy in Toronto that's being sequestered to camps up from unknown destinations, uh, Manoa, because he can't get anybody out. And at the same time, the rest of your bullpen has kind of gotten back where your rest of your bullpen needs to be to where Ryan Presley's been lights out again, you know? And then you're, you you know that at least you're right. I could to- totally agree with you on Neris. Look, I, I hated the fact that he loaded him up. It's bad. But, the, but then I immediately thought the game was over and there was no way he was getting out of it. Same. The fact that he was able to get out of it and has the kind of pitches to get out of it makes you believe, hey, this is a dude that needs to stay right there in the back of the bullpen. So... There were goods, you know, there were a lot of goods with the bullpen to me, but from the Montero standpoint, 
At least he's not getting knocked around the park giving up bombs left and right. No, he, he looked pretty good in that last game. Like, it's, okay, maybe you can try to figure out Rafael Montero. Maybe you can salvage this contract a little bit. Uh, maybe it's, you know, where you can retain 75% of the salary and trade him type of thing. So it, it is good. It's one of the better outings that he's had, one of the better few days uh, that he's had. Oh, you mentioned the bullpen, too. you got to mention Ryan Presley, who's been unbelievable. Did, yeah. His yeah. last 10 appearances, his last 10 appearances has not given up an earned run. He's pitched 11 innings, has not given up an earned run, and on top of that, he has not given up a hit. His last, his last 10 games, his last 11 innings, he has not surrendered a hit. He got jobbed on a check swing, too. He did. He that, that really did. That made me did. so mad. Because it made it, me mad, too, because I was like, ugh. oh, God, here's where they end up getting some kind of a fluke way to yep. either tie it or take the lead, and you're pointing to a freaking bad call. Yeah, that was a bad call. Oh, it was awful on the replay. Presley's been dominant. Like, in that 10-game stretch since June 18th, so that's three weeks, been the best reliever in baseball in a three-week span. He's been fantastic. He's been really, really good. You have some more goods. I have, I have uh, actually, I'm done now. Those were mine. I got one more. What do you got? Well, when Chaz rightfully got hit, he didn't get hurt. Yeah, that wasn't intentional. You don't think so? No chance. It's a backup splitter. No chance. You don't think that was intentional? No chance. He would have dotted him with a fastball. He I think it would have been a fastball in the, the butt cheek. Huh? He just happened to get hit the next day. It was two days, two later, days later. And it was it wasn't the next day. Well, he didn't play no, the next an, day. Yes, he did. Did he play that? I think he started every game this series. Okay. Yeah, which is a miracle. Right. No, it was a backup. It wasn't a fastball. It was a backup splitty. Well, he didn't get he did hurt. not get hit intentionally. I, I was, su- I was surprised sure the king that. of the moment it got service. intentional. Because the Astros hit several. J- uh, I mean, not JP France, but uh, France. Which, well, by the way. By the way. With the elbow guard. That dude is aggressive at getting hit by pitches. He's been hit 17 times already this season. You don't think that, that there's a pattern there of, of like he, he, he looks to lean into him? Even Lisa was watching with me. She goes, he leaned right into that when I go, yeah, because he's got an elbow guard on. He, he's not feeling it. The second time he got hit in the series, he attacked the baseball with his elbow. If it would have been in the gap, it would have been a double. Like he aggressively goes after pitches inside with that elbow pad. Yeah, no, I agree. I was surprised ridiculous. they let him get away with that. It's ridiculous. But like, then was it Belak that lost control of a, of a of a spinner that went like headhunting? Yeah, it was pretty gross. I was like, well, at that point, service is going to be like, well, the other ones, regardless, after the third time, we're, we're going to start retaliating. Yeah, that was not great. <laughs> I got to believe it was an awkward moment for Dusty to have to offer the the invitation to have service on his staff. Yeah, it was kind of weird because they were explaining that you know you, you offer it's the it's customary you offer the home team manager a spot on your coaching staff. I'm like, Ugh. based oh. on the history. Oh, that's why. Yeah. So based it's not because the hit- that makes me that makes me a little bit more like will, willing to tolerate that. It's I, like they're not boys, but because right, he's the home right. manager. It's like he, Dusty's forced that's to good. have to take a guy that I got to believe there's there's not a, any love lost between either guy. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, but I mean that, that's going to be an awkward situation in the in the coaches' pictures and the meetings and things. But yeah, so be it. Look, I, I think that. The the way that it was handled, I don't think that they were throwing at him, Joe. I really don't. But I think they should have. I think he deserved it. Yeah, it was a backup split. King of Twitch says that is a fastball, but he's got a he's got a four seam too. Like that's his secondary fastball. Like he might go to it often, but that's not his four seam. Like if you're going to dot him up, you're dotting him up with a four seam, not a backup. By the way, speaking splitter. of velocity, another thing on Fromber, he was hitting ninety eight. Yeah, it's crazy. His velocity is getting better. He's getting stronger. That was impressive to me. Yeah, he was he he threw that two seam. I can't remember the hitter. Oh, my God, the one that started at the middle of the plate and just faded out of the zone. Yeah. It he was had ridiculous. so much movement on his fastball the other day that, that it's almost like a breaking pitch but with full velocity. 
He's, his stuff is nasty yeah, right now. Wicked. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. With the good comes the bad. What is the bad? What is the ugly from the Astros weekend as well? Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Killer bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five. Before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. It's the Neograph procedure, guys. The Neograph procedure is a game changer. If you've got pattern baldness, you're losing your hair, you think all you can do is either shave your head or go to all the sprays and creams and foams that mask the problem, I'm here to tell you there is a legit, real answer and solution, and it's long-lasting. It's called the Neograph procedure, and Doc Linville, in my opinion, best in the business at doing it. Essentially, it's taking hair where you're never going to lose it, and genetically, you're never going to lose it on the sides and the back, and putting it where you need it most, whether that be on your your hairline in front or the bald spot that you have up on top and you see the results almost immediately. But in six to nine months when the, the, the hair is there and growing at its full capacity, you're going to see even more and you're going to feel better and you're going to have more pep in your step and more confidence because you're going to love the way you look. Go to go to 975hair.com right now and check it all out. Sign up for a free consultation because as an ESPN 97.5 listener, you get a consultation that normally costs 150 bucks, absolutely free, no obligations. Go in and talk to Doc Linville and his staff. Find out about the procedure. Find out about everything that you need to know. The one thing that I'll give you as a spoiler alert, 95 to 99% of the follicles that are moved are going to stay and grow and be with you for the long haul, and that's why I did the procedure. I couldn't be happier. I have hair again in the front in my hairline. I love it. My family loves it. My friends have noticed it. And it's a great thing to know that it's your real hair. Check him out today and tell him I sent you by 975hair.com. Go see Doc Linville. Back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. The show name is a reference to how many great Astros' last name begin with the letter B, who were playing back in the 90s when they were not winning World Series. Bagwell, Biggio, Barry, Bell, and eventually Bergman. You might not remember Barry and Bell, but trust me, you remember Blank and Brenham. Here they are now, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Uh, Sixty ninety one. Why was service uh, griping yesterday? Uh, that that happened after the home run. It happened when Dubon was up, and then the uh, Esch and Blum had Dana Brown in the booth, so they were like talking to him. I'm pretty sure that service was he wanted confirmation on the Dubon check swing. Because remember that pitch was like in the dirt and it bounced off the catcher and like went rolled over towards the Astros dugout, but Dubon checked his swing. I think Service was trying to ask, or he wanted the home plate umpire to ask the other umpires if there was contact there, if Dubon touched it. After the Maldi homer? Yeah, it was after the Maldi homer, remember? I thought he was was looking for fan interference. That's what I thought too. But it was two pitches later. Yeah, Jeremy and I were talking in the break. I was like, but it would be one thing if he got out there before the the first pitch to the next batter because that's when the appropriate time to do it would be in case they wanted to do something about it. And instead, it was two pitches into the next at bat. I'm going, is he still bitching about the the possible fan interference? No, I think he was. I think he was griping about the Dubon check swing, trying to get it to be a foul ball. But was he it, it pointing? Because he kept pointing out that way. Was he pointing like to get help? I think he was pointing at the first base yeah, umpire to get help. Him. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So I, either either it was like a foul ball, or if, if he went, like he could be asking if it was like if he swung. So I think I'm pretty I'm pretty confident that service was asking for check swing, foul tip, something like that because it was two pitches after the ball left the the yard. I know AT and T showed the replay of that, but I don't I don't think that they were on it. I think they were more on uh, you know Dana Brown, rightfully so. Like you have the general manager in the booth, you're going to be talking to the general manager in the booth. Two pitches later, you have service griping about the Dubon. I think check swing, foul tip. 
And, you know, they're, they're kind of lost there a little bit, which you can totally understand. A good, bad, ugly, 713-780-ESPN, 6941-GOOD. Thank goodness we've been playing slumping sub-500 teams. You play the schedule that you have, and the Astros have played a way more difficult schedule yes, than the Rangers. A bad, boring, almost unwatchable baseball. Okay, that's a strong take. Ouch. I like strong takes, even if I don't agree. Ugly, Bregman has lost any chip he's ever had. Looks like a, uh, I'm not going to say that. Okay. Uh, it's harsh on it's very harsh, very harsh. Bregman, look, I've been I've been critical of Bregman. Uh, I I don't think that Bregman's playing up to his salary. He's making twenty eight million dollars this year. Do I think Alex Bregman's a twenty eight million dollar player? No, not even close. Bregman still helps your baseball team. Uh, he's still a solid offensive player. He's going to hit a few out of the park. He's going to hit a few doubles. He's going to walk a ton. He's going to get on base at a good rate. And he plays a very good third base. He does. He plays a really but good But I think it's a rude base. awakening. I think that a lot of Astros fans, especially the, the punch-drunk orange Kool-Aid drinkers, are finally starting to come around to and realize, look, it would be nice to have Alex Bregman on this team long-term and maybe finish his career here. It's going to be up to Alex Bregman to take a whole lot less money than I think he, yeah. he's thinking he's worth. What do you think he's, he's not worth? Close. What do you think he's worth right now? Like what his play right now, last three years? What do you think he's playing up to? Twenty five. See, I, I would I would go twenty. Twenty five. I, I, was, I was between twenty and twenty five. He started at about. He started you know at the start of this extension or whatever, however they phrased what they did for him at about twenty plus a year, and between twenty and twenty five, and again some of that being. Thanks for the memories, and a lot of it still being, look, there's still a, a better-than-serviceable player in there that I think that that's fair. Do I think that that's going to be fair enough for him? Probably not. He's probably, I mean, he saw what Machado signed for, but the root awakening Machado. is he's not Machado. He's not even close. No, it, it, like 25, if you, 25 would be kind of tough to swallow. I would I would do it, but I wouldn't do it more than four years. Oh, no, 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 me either. Like, if you said, a, and he's still got a year on his deal, so like, if he's going to be 30 next year, you sign him to a four-year deal. That's 31, 32, 33, 34 years old. Do we expect Alex Bregman to get better once he reaches his 30s? Like, that's that's steep for me. Well, like, and, I can't and here's do 25 the thing. You, for four. When you lay it all out and weigh the options, how many teams are going to be, like, misled into believing something other than what you see every day? Because I don't think any other team in the league sees him as a, point. A, as a more than $25 million a year player. So if you want the best of both worlds, you want to stay in Houston where everybody loves you and knows you and you know everything too, yeah. and you can continue to make about 25 a year on a winning ball club, then I think that makes sense for four more years. 25 on a short term is probably, to, for me, the maximum side of that. I, I'm looking at 20. Like, if, if he's asking for more than $20 million for, like, five years, I'm out. I'm out on Bregman. Yeah, I, I think below 20, honestly, is fair. Like, Jose Ramirez is on a seven-year deal that averages out at $20 million a year. I don't think year. that's a good example to use, though, because he gave Cleveland an unbelievable he hometown He did a Jordan deal. And so did Austin Riley, who's also making 20 a year. Like, And he, they got him early, too. They got him arbitration. early. But, like, those are besides Devers, Machado, Arenado, and Rendon, and then the, the worst contract in baseball, Josh Donaldson. Those are your highest third baseman right yeah, now. I'm not Alex him. Bregman is right He's there. He's not even in that near that tier. I can't pay him that. Like it's just like he just doesn't belong right now. He made in over that 100 mil tier. so far, right? Probably. I think because this extension was I like think, 20 think, a year for four think, or five. I think the deal is 100 like million, right, but I right. think it was 100 million on the nose. Yeah. So if he gets an extra 100 mil out of the deal and, and he's guaranteed staying in Houston and playing at least four more years, he's got to understand realistically, especially knowing the market. That that's the best case scenario because I don't know. I think Joe. A lot of teams are going to think like you do and think he might not be worth twenty million. But he's not worth anything if a twenty-five million dollar contract to a below-average Alex Bregman is going to stop Jim Crane from spending on other players. 
Like, if you're going to say, like, oh, we're, we're almost at the luxury tax because Alex Bregman is playing the way he's played. He's making $25 million a year. Yeah. We can't go spend on a bullpen arm, a starter, a left fielder. It's like he's not playing good enough to stop you from spending money elsewhere. Well, he's making 28 now, though. So, like, if oh, no. you get him at 25, he's actually, I mean, you have $3 million more to spend. Now, it was an AAV of 20, so if you want to factor in the luxury tax, do all the numbers on that. You mentioned the $100 million contract. This was this was bought out a couple of years of his free agency, so this was right. kind of pre-arb deal, too. He signed a five-year, $100 million contract. You do that again? Do you do that again if you're Crane? Do you do that again if you're Bregman? Five years, $100 million when this contract ends. I say Bregman would not do it and say no. I think Crane would do it and say yes because of all, all yeah. things considered, even the intangibles of what he you know, what he's done for this city and what he's been to this team and all the other things that go with it. I think Crane would say yes. I think Bregman is going to say no, test the market, think he's worth more, mm-hmm. and then hope to God the Astros are still willing to, to negotiate with him after that. I, I'm, I'm with everything that you just said. I would throw a caveat that me personally, that is the maximum I'm doing. That is my best and final. I'm not going so over going five years. Year, I'm not going five over less a year and going yeah. five for... My absolute maximum is five years, hundred million. If four years, a hundred million is too much for me. I think that's the counter. Pro- uh, it's too much for me. But if I think Crane would do it. I think he counter and say, yeah. if Alex really wants to stay here, then why don't you give it? We want the hundred million. We want it for four, not five. Hundred million for five years. Would you do that if you're Jim Crane? If you're or or if you're Dana Brown? <laughs> I think Jim Crane's hundred percent in on on. I think he would be too. Five years. Yeah, I think he would be. Too. I think four years. He'd pause, but I believe he'd still do it. Crane likes the just, short-term deal, yeah. So he might, but he also loves the 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 Bregmans and so the what, Altuve's and that whole Alex, history thing. When is Alex a free agent? Two, in two years. Two years. And Tucker and Altuve this year, two years. next year. Yeah, and, he and Altuve in two years. This year, next. And year. and when's Tucker a free agent? Tucker has two years the, after this one, so he's a year after, and Frommer's a year after too. I, I just don't like how 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 can you give twenty five million dollars a year to Alex Bregman when like you could just give all of that money right now. To Kyle Tucker. I don't think Tucker's taking twenty five AA. No, but like he can take thirty five. Oh, that's a lot. And like, that's a lot for a corner outfield. No, it is. The, the problem, the problem with locking up Tucker, and look, I love Kyle Tucker as a player. I think he's fantastic. The issue is that he's a corner outfielder, and you can find corner outfield bats for that are serviceable, that are good for far cheaper than thirty five million dollars a year. That are going to want to play here, considering at least if we take into considering they're going to still be a winning team. Uh, that are going to be for less less years, that probably have more acc- accolades to their to their name. When we see it in free agency all the time, that you're going to get a couple of big names that you can get that maybe be a little bit past their their prime or right at at or, at or before their prime. The before the prime guys are looking for that long term and that massive deal. The little after their prime, but still plenty left are going to take the opportunity to take a situation where they can win and get the cash that they want, and then you don't. if you're Crane, you avoid going 10 years and overpaying. So Larry's like, $15 million I, I, this year. Yoshida, uh, who's having a really good year with the Red Sox, who I wish they would have signed, he's making $18 million this year. It's like you can find corner outfield bats for around $20 million a year that are that are good. Yeah, I, just, I firmly believe that they should be paying Kyle Tucker for 10 years. Mm-mm. I don't see why they won't I do it. The reason that I wouldn't is because he's a corner outfielder. And he's not a premium position. That's fair. That's why. Because I love Kyle Tucker as a player. Like, if Kyle Tucker was an above-average center fielder defensively, a lot of people think he would be. I don't. If, if he was a center fielder, I'm way more likely to do that 10-year deal than I am with a right fielder. Because right fielders aren't as expensive. Yeah, I just I would take the Bregman money and just say, Tucker, it's yours. Yeah. Like And Jim Crane, like, he can say he's not willing to sign people to a 10-year deal. But if you made the last three years of... 
Kyle Tucker $19 million. What's the difference between Kyle Tucker at 36 and Jose Abreu at 36? Nothing. So, like, Jim Crane basically gave the worst part of a 10-year deal to Jose Abreu already. Well, I mean, the, the risk is that Kyle Tucker fades away at the age of 32. We've seen fades yeah. happen a lot sooner with a lot better sometimes. I know. But, uh, like... I, I just think that they've set the standard that I don't think they're going to go back on, which is they're not going to go long-term. And the, the only way that they'll even consider anything close to it is a Jordan-type deal where they know that they're, they're absolutely stealing money in getting a player for that price with his ability. The only thing that like, I, I, I push back on that a little bit is they were right. They were so right. George Springer was a bad idea, and we all knew it. And Carlos Correa, he tried to get paid this offseason. And no one would do it. He still got paid a lot of money, though. But, like, he didn't get the years. No. Like, the Astros were so right. And Kyle Tucker just doesn't have those red flags health-wise that Springer and Correa had. That's where, like, I think it's a little bit different. It would be about – it's more about the performance than it is injuries. Yeah. And it's more – and it's not even Kyle Tucker's performance. It's performance of, like, what an average big leaguer does with their career trajectory into their mid-20s, late-20s, and into their 30s. Because outside of performance-enhancing drugs, players' prime is, like, 27 through 30 years old. You start reaching your 30s, you start to decline, decline as a right. player. I also think Jeremy's point is right in that – not that they're a dime a dozen, but the availability of corner outfielders – and good ones, is a lot more accessible to teams than it is when you find an ideal shortstop or an ideal you know, starting pitcher or guys that you know are tougher to find at the utmost highest tier of ability. I think you can find a lot of above-average right fielders and left fielders that are willing to take less years and either similar or less money and give you similar statistical ability. Uh, Dre saying, so Jeremy wants Myers for 10 years. I'm not saying every center fielder. I'm no. saying good center fielders. Do not put words in my mouth, Dre. 713-780-3776. Did you see Dre being soft on Twitter, by the way? No. He said he wouldn't drive a a big rig over a very, very shaky, questionable bridge mm. over like a probably like a canyon. Well, but Dre has kids. He wants to be around. I don't blame him for that. Yeah, I'm just taking shots because he's taking shots at me. 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. You can get in on this if you want. Also, when we return, all the early reports on C.J. Stroud are good, which is good. And Laramie Tunsil loves him. Is this good news? Team chemistry, is it on the up and up? It's Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5.